0: Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, eight 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 ninety nine 99 chart 888 99 chart and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
1: Welcome to Invest Talk. Above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have as long as they're financial. 888-99-CHARTER is our number, 888 Let's go to Cliff in La Mesa. How are you doing, Cliff? Hey, good, Steve. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Appreciate you
0: calling. Could you answer a question on dividends sure. for me? On the X day, which is like, what, two or three weeks before they actually pay the dividend? Yes. If you own the stock on the X day, say you own it the day before, and the day after that day you sell it, would you still get the dividend?
1: Yes, Long as you own the stock on the X dividend date, and that's the date they announce, all people who own the stock today will get a 15 cent dividend when we pay it a few weeks from now. So that's the day you need to own it. You can sell it the very next day, not a problem. And you might be even able to sell it that day, but I wouldn't take that chance. Uh, that sounds good. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks. It. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. So everybody, whenever you hear, well, the X dividend day, they call it X dividend day, EX-dividend day. That's the day you have to own the stock to get the announced dividend they're going to announce on that day. Now, mind you, the stock goes down the exact amount of the dividend they're going to pay. If the stock, if the dividend's going to be 50 cents, the stock price that day will go down 50 cents. Now, it might be disguised because trading, you know, trading up and down, up and down, up and down might not see it, but it actually does go down the exact amount of the dividend announced on that ex-dividend date. Dennis in Oakland. How are you doing, Dennis? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks for Uh
0: I'm 65, and I'm putting some money in the Roth IRA for the next two years, like 24K okay. with my wife and I. Okay. And I think I should just do it. I don't need the money. So I think I should just put it in aggressive for the next 20 years. And then when I'm 85, then there'll be a nice nest egg, additional nest egg. What do you think of that idea?
1: If you don't need the money, I think it's a great idea.
0: Yeah, I don't need the money, Phil.
1: See, that's the key because you're at retirement age, quote unquote retirement age. If you don't need the money and you're willing to let it ride for a number of years, all that growth, the Roth grows for all those years. There's no task consequence. Not one nickel you think the of government pages. might
0: change their mind?
1: I don't think so. Think of the hue and cry that would cause, Dennis. No way. You and I, we'd be marching on Washington, wouldn't we? No, I don't think it it's... We wouldn't be uh, abused, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So I don't think they're going to change their rules on that. I really don't. There would be such a backlash. that Everybody who ever even thought about it would get voted out of office. So I, I don't see it happening. Dennis, I appreciate the call. I really do. Thank you. Take- Thank you. Dave and Carlsbad, how are you doing, Dave?
0: Hi, how are you? I'm thinking of spending, uh, well, investing about $10,000 mm-hmm. in uh, money market, and I don't know much about uh, stocks and kind of stuff. I was wondering that. Like, if I invest $10,000 in, like, six months or so, mm-hmm. and the interest that I'm going to get off of that, uh, how is that going to affect my taxes?
1: Any time that you invest in anything, like a money market, where they pay you dividends, okay, yeah, they pay you 5%, a... 5%. Yeah, that's right. They're going to pay you an annualized 5%. That money is added to your adjusted gross income on your tax return. The bank okay. will send you what's called a W-2? Like a W-2 form. Yeah. And they okay. send it like January, February, March, somewhere in there. They're supposed okay. to get it to you by the end of January. Okay. And that W-2 says, oh, you earned $282 in interest. And when okay. you do your taxes, you have to add that $282 to your gross income. And that's what you pay your taxes, whether you get back money or not, depending on how much taxes you pay during the year, of course. Now, if you don't add it, remember the bank sends that same little form, yeah. It's like I'm working for somebody, like an employer that does that. Yep. Okay. Yep, they send it to the government, so the government knows you got that 200 bucks in interest. Mm-hmm. You know, so you've got to add it to your thing, or else you're going to get audited someday.
0: So I'm also planning to open a business. Mm-hmm. If I invest, through my business, not as an individual, but uh, mm-hmm. being a CEO of a business, yes. how is that going to affect uh, in taxes? Good, bad?
1: It's neither good nor bad, and in some ways it's good. When you form a business, you know, initially you usually don't form a corporation. You just do it as what's called a sole proprietorship. In other words, it's your business, it's just you. Yeah. And it's a sole proprietorship. The income that that business makes is offset by the expenses you incur. Let's say you just pick some numbers. Let's say you make $10,000 uh, in the first month, but it costs you $5,000 to run the business. Now, you can leave that $5,000 in the business, or you can take some of it as a salary to yourself. And if you take it as a salary, that's income to you, and you have to pay taxes on it. The first year of a business, you don't have to pay any taxes till the end of the year. So, Dave, you got to be disciplined by not spending all the money if you have earnings. Because when it comes tax time, they say, oh, you made $42,000 and therefore you owe you know uh, $15,000 in taxes. If you spend it all, you're going to be in trouble. But the good thing about being a sole proprietorship and starting a business, things you have write-offs that you don't have as an employee. You have write offs like gasoline, car repair. You can write off any kind of business lunch that you have or any there's certain things you had. Not a lot. Don't think it's a lot. It's not. Dave, good luck. I hope it I hope you yeah, have Thanks some, a lot. Thanks for your help. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. Eight 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 ninety nine chart, eight 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 nine nine two four two seven eight and you can get through right now.
0: An encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey guys, I just started checking out your podcast and I've been really enjoying the content. Nonetheless, I'm 22, about to turn 23, and I just had a quick question about investing since I just started working full time. I plan to utilize my company's 401k match and make my own contributions to, like, a general retirement fund. However, my question was more for, like, personal investing and what would make the most sense to kind of fight off inflation for money that's just sitting in a checking account I have right now. Thank you very much, and uh, I look forward to hearing back. Thank you.
1: Now, if this is, like, emergency money sitting on the sidelines or money you have set aside for some specific um, purchase you don't expose that to the stock market it's too dangerous uh and i know you're not making any money on that money i know that but at 22 you want to be pretty aggressive in the market you know 22 you've got a lifetime and yeah the market's going to fall 50 percent at some point in your life it will definitely fall that much sometime in your life but what you do is you buy more when it happens don't run from the market don't be scared of it but if you're just sitting on the sideline with cash and you don't want to expose it to the stock market because you have a specific purpose for it, there's not a lot of things you can do to make money. You know, it's just not because the Federal Reserve has made sure you can't make money on your money markets or your CDs or even even in the bonds. You know, so it's difficult. I, I do think that's one of the reasons why the market will drive higher. I really think that's. 888-99-CHARTERS, our number, 888-992-4278. Aven in San Ramon. How you doing, Evan I got a quick question. I have two kids, 12 and 10. I started putting money for their education. Okay. Um, so far, I put in about $22,000. It's hard to gauge as to how much the expenses would be. So, on an annual average... What do you think I should be putting in? Are you putting them in a 529 plan? Yes, it's a 529 plan by Charles Schwab. Okay. Is that 529 in California or is it Illinois? Is it it's, uh, it's Illinois. Now, people probably ask me, how did I know that? Well, yeah. the reason why I know that is each state sponsors a educational, called a 529 plan. Each state has its own. And why did I say Illinois? Because I know Illinois has a very good plan. Yeah. Therefore, they're selling a lot. California's plan is just okay. If you live in California, you can buy any state plan you want. You don't necessarily. It's not money that has to be spent in Illinois. You can spend it anywhere in the United States, but it is for college education. That's true, yeah. College. Okay. Next question, Evan, you have to ask is, is your child, are they going to go to Berkeley or Harvard? Are they going to go to a regular college, you know, like a USC or UCLA? One of those Cal Cal colleges, either USC, UCLA, or Stanford, Berkeley, one of those things. Okay, okay, good. Because, you know, the expenses on the various colleges dramatically change. Yeah. Uh, Remember, you don't have to come up with all the money for the education. They can get college student loans for some of it. So you're just helping them. You don't have to, you know, if you make a ton of money and you want to, you yeah. can. But yeah. you don't have to have all the money for their education. Just think of this way. It's going to cost about twenty dollars to $30,000 a year for college. Okay. From that number back, and they're 8 to 10 years old? That's right. So 10 and 12. So. Okay, 10 and 12. Figure yeah. then you know how many years you have. You have eight, uh, six to eight years each. Yeah. Okay. And your money will make about six to ten percent a year. So if you were real generous, you can add ten percent to twenty-two thousand, compound okay. it. Oh, okay. So, so that's how we- those are the kinds of numbers you play with. Okay. And that means you're going to have you know if you're going to have all of it, you've got a lot of work to do. I wouldn't suggest you have to have all of it. You don't. I know my wife's parents pay for the first year and then you're on your own for the rest of the year. Some pay for uh, the school but not the room and board, so they have to borrow a student loan. Student loans are so easy to get, Avan, that you won't Uh, have any problem. That's right. It's been about three years since I started, and then I'm adding about uh, anywhere between $2,000 to $3,000 a year for each account. I think that's very, very good. For the average working guy, that's a very good number. All right, that's good. Thank you. Thanks, Avin. Appreciate the call. Bye-bye.
0: Our Invest Talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888 99 chart or click on contact Steve or contact Justin on investtalk.com. Yes, I enjoy your broadcast. I have a question. I have a. Uh... Life insurance policy, and I'm 65 years old. The policy is for thinking about my kids' future when I'm gone, to leave it to them. It's a $200,000 policy, and I'm paying $206 a month because I know it's a little high because of my health issues, but I was wondering what you thought of uh, this investment. Thank you very much.
1: Okay. We've talked about life insurance before, and I have a background in insurance. That's why I started with I have no problem with people buying a term life policy for a specific length of time for a specific purpose. Most of the time I'm talking to younger people who should have life insurance because they're married, they have a couple of kids, and if the one of the breadwinner dies suddenly, that income's got to be replaced for a while. You know, so that's a really good reason to have life insurance. If you're older and you want to just leave money to your children, your grandchildren or whatever, and you're using life insurance to do that, that's a reason to have life insurance. I just don't think it's a great reason to have life insurance. And I'm hoping it's a term life policy that you have, $206 a month. I need a lot more information from you. Can you afford $206 a month? Is it easy to pay? Is it a term life, whole life, universal life? What kind of policy is it? Um, is it a premium flat or is it going to rise as you get older? Because what happens if you're on a fixed income and you get older and older and the premium keeps going up every year, pretty soon you're going to cancel it because you can't afford it anymore. And then, of course, the next year you'll die. And you paid all this premium and got nothing for it. So there's... I there's so much more information I need before I can answer your question. Again, buying life insurance for a purpose is a good idea. But a lot of people buy it because someone sold it to them. They don't have a good reason to own it. The broker who sold it to you has a good reason for you to own it so he can make a big commission. That's his reason. Okay, they're not all that way, but you know what I mean. So you got to have a reason for life insurance. And life insurance to me is you buy term life and invest the rest. Because whole life, universal life, they try to talk you into a higher premium so you can be an investment and you can make a lot more money. Well, it just costs a lot more money, too. The fees are expensive. And then, then they talk you, well, then you know, You can borrow your own money later on down the road. Therefore, you don't have to pay. That's a rotten idea. So there's, so there's a lot more questions I need. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99-Chart, beginning our experience. We're here to answer your questions.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
2: Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Brandon from Northern California. I had a question on Roth IRA accounts. I'm sure you've answered it before, but I do not recall. So when you're doing it, I know it's a tax deferred account until you retire and withdraw it because it's already already tax money that's put in. I'm just curious about the dividend earnings. Are they different than the regular growth earnings, or what's the deal on that? I appreciate the show. I'll listen for your answer on the podcast. Thanks.
1: So the dividends in a Roth and a regular IRA, the dividends are in the Roth and the regular IRA, so whatever paid in dividends is still there. You can reinvest them wherever you want inside the Roth IRA. When you withdraw that money in a uh, in a regular IRA, that money is taxed as income for the at the year that you withdraw it. For dividends in a Roth IRA, is treated just like anything else. You're never taxed on that money. Never taxed as long as it stays forever. It's the Roth. You don't have to pay taxes on Roth. Okay? So there's no taxes on the dividends. Let's go to Jim and Claremont. Hi Jim. Hi Steve, thanks for taking my call. Appreciate you making it. How do you pick sector that's gonna be performing well for the next month or two months. Okay, fair enough and a good question, a very good question. Trying to figure out what sectors are moving in relationship to each other is something that we do constant work on. It is something that is very difficult but doable. There are certain websites, CBS Market Watch, one of our partners, has a sector analysis area. They have charts and they show you the sectors. You can see the sectors intertwine with each other on a chart, which ones are moving up through the other sectors. It's pretty obvious And that's how you have to do You have to go to Yahoo Finance or CBS Market Watch or one of those other, CNN Money, and find the sector analysis in there and figure out what sectors are moving up. Also, the Investor's Business Daily newspaper once a week has a sector analysis. And it talks about sectors and which ones are moving up and which ones are the highest rated. And you can find it. It's out there. It just takes a little bit of work. But that's all past performance, right? That's not necessarily what's uh, going on in the future. Well, nothing will tell you what's going to happen in the future, but what will it will do is it will tell you, if you watch, it will tell you what sectors are moving up and have been moving up. Uh-huh. And that's really what you're looking for. You're looking for the moving sectors. doesn't have to be the top one or two sectors. It can be the 10th or 12th sector. As long as it moved from three weeks ago, the 18th sector, to two weeks ago, the 15th sector, to last week, it's the 10th sector, to this week, it's the 6th sector, you know that all the stocks in that sector have been moving up. Okay, well, thanks very much, Steve. Appreciate it. Thank Jim, I appreciate the call. And thank you for that. I think the sector question was very, very good. And I think everybody should be paying attention to the sectors they're
0: in. Talk is made possible by KPP Financial. Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial, and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment... KPP Financial Practices Parallel Investing, where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about Parallel Investing and the other KPP Financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART.
1: 888 chart 888 992 We're going to go talk to John in Walnut Creek. How are you doing, John? Hi, very good. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it. i uh, just calling to get your advice. Uh, my wife and uh, I are 37 years old, and we both maxed out our 401K. We maxed out our rock. We have two young kids. We put away about $200 into each one of their... Uh, 5.9 plans. What advice do you give for additional savings that we have? Do we put it in a CD or do we, do, I don't want to just leave it in
0: savings. So, we'll
1: John, first of all, do you have money set aside for emergencies? Uh, yes. Okay. Now, do you have a mortgage? Yes. What kind of mortgage is it, is it a 30-year fix, a 15-year fix? Uh-huh. It's a 30-year fix. Okay. Do you pay extra on it every month? No, we don't. It says you're maxing out your 401k, you're putting money aside for your children, you have enough emergency money set aside. The next step I would do is, do you have any credit card debt? No. Uh, Then I probably pay a little extra on my mortgage every month. Okay. What I did for years is you write out a check for the mortgage payment, you write out another check for $200 or $100, whatever you're going to do, and you write on that check, apply to the principal. That takes your principal down every month. And then what happens is as that eats down the principal, more of the normal monthly mortgage checks goes to the principal too.
0: Yeah, so I guess you're kind of earning
2: money, after saving money from say, not paying so much interest.
1: Exactly. If you ever figured out a 30-year fixed, you're actually paying, after 30 years paying that payment, you'll be paying like two and a half, three times the amount of the money you borrowed. Did you know that? Yeah, that's, uh, yeah no, that's very good advice. Uh, yeah. like you're investing in real estate. Exactly. Wow. You're taking that investment pulling it down. That real estate, It's a real estate investment. That's all it is. If you have those other things already set up, that is a very good way to invest in money because you're already maxing out your retirement account, so that's important, and you're already putting money aside for your kid's education. That's very important. You don't have any credit card debt. What else can you do? Get that mortgage on you. In your late 30s now, you want to have that mortgage paid off by the time you're in your 50s. Yeah, that'll be good. It, it will work if you do this. It will. You will have that done. You will. Okay. John, I appreciate the call. Best advice as always. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, John. I appreciate it. You can call right now be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now.
2: InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though eight 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 ninety nine chart eight 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 ninety nine C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
2: Hey guys, long time listener. My name's Adam. I'm unfortunately having to move probably in the early coming of the year, and housing market has just gone up
0: ridiculously,
2: and I'm. I'm debating, do I just go ahead and buy because it'll go up more or should I rent while it goes back down, if it will, but I hate, you know, wasting money renting as well. I don't know. Do you think there'll be like a, I know a housing market's not going to have a crash again, but do you think it'll come back down possibly? Anyways, I appreciate
0: it and I'll uh, be waiting for your response. Thank you guys.
2: All right. There's a few things I want to unpack with that question. Number one is when people say that renting is throwing away money. I think that is one of the biggest myths that's out there in the finance world. Now, certainly if you're buying a house for cash, you don't pay interest, right? But 90 plus percent of people who are buying their primary residence are borrowing money. And guess what? When you borrow money, you're renting money, right? So what you have to understand is there's a cost to that money that you're borrowing. Okay. You're throwing away that interest as well, especially early on in a mortgage, right? Where the majority of your mortgage payment is going towards interest, not going to principal, not going to equity, right? So that's first thing. Don't think that renting is necessary throwing away money it gives you more flexibility, uh, doesn't tie you to a particular home or area you can move, you know, every year, right? There's lower maintenance costs. So there are some underappreciated things about renting. And I say, when you buy a primary residence, you have to think of it as a utility. If it goes up in value, great. Is that something to consider? Yes. The, the investment side. Yes. But too many people make it the primary reason that they're buying a home. Having a home go up in value should never be your primary reason for buying a home. The utility. Do you love it? Do you like living there? Are you going to be happy there? Are you going to be able to hold it for a long period of time? And that's the the answer to your question is, should you buy? If you think you're going to stay there for 8, 10 plus years, probably, right? Because the cost of uh, uh, renting or cost of closing on a mortgage, right? Going through potentially a downturn in sometime in the next 5, 7 years, which is certainly possible. You have to be able to ride through that. So you're not selling the bottom, right? You're not caught in a situation where oh, I want to move, but I'm underwater or it's a bad time to sell. So that's anybody right now. You want to buy a home? Make sure you have a long-term time horizon for that particular home. Don't think about, oh, am I going to make money on this home? Think about, what is the utility? Can I afford the monthly payments? And am I holding it long-term? And I think in near term, and this it's different between regions, inventory is too low. What happens with the housing market, I think, is entirely predicated on government action. Housing prices are a political utility, just like stock prices are now. And so governments are going to step in and do what they can to try to stave off a housing crash, a stock market crash. And that's where we're at right now. At the end of this year, there's supposed to be a moratorium. The moratorium on foreclosures and evictions are supposed to be up. Well, I'm sure I have the stimulus package that they're talking about is to extend that. How long does government extend the foreclosure moratorium? Meaning all those seven plus million people that are on forbearance for their mortgage, it's extended out longer. means those people don't go into foreclosure. They don't get added to the housing supply that's out there for sale. So it's really all about what government action will be. Just like the Fed pushing mortgage rates down Flooding that money, that that market with cash, and that's why you can borrow at sub 3% rates right now.
1: 888 99 Charter is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open 888 992 4278. John in Hayward. How are you doing, John?
0: Doing fine.
1: Thanks for calling.
0: Thanks. I had a question. I got a, a Tia Crest account, and I'm not really clear on how to spread my money out for retirement. Okay.
1: You sound youngest, John. How old are you?
0: 33.
1: Perfect. You're a young guy, young guy. And so you have a TF Creft account. Now, they give you lots of choices, if I remember right, of mutual funds to buy. Yeah. Okay, what I would do, you got a pen or a pencil? Yeah. And this is good for everybody out there, not just for John. If you're John's age group, if you're under 40, let's say, number one, you need to be aggressive. So stay away from bond funds. Stay away from bond funds, okay? Stay away from balanced funds. Funds. Okay. Because they have bonds in them usually. I want you to be in the small cap, mid cap, and large cap growth and value funds. Okay. Have maybe 25% in the small cap stocks. Find a mutual fund that says we are small cap growth or small cap value. Go with 25% of your money. 25% in mid cap. Mid-sized companies—they call them mid-cap. Capitalization is what that means. Mid-sized company, and they'll say that. They'll say that in their—they're usually in their title. And then 25% in large cap, and I would lean on growth, large cap, mid-cap, small cap, growth versus value. So split up the money. You can have four, five, six mutual funds, and the last 25%, John, I want you to have an international. Okay. International. Good luck, John. Call me if you want any more uh, any more help on that, okay? Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks, John. Appreciate the call. 888-99-CHART is our number. 888-992-4278.
0: Managing multiple mutual funds. Researching professional services. Where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you. We want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on Invest Talk.
2: Hi, this is Ari in Atlanta. I'm actually calling because I wanted to include my daughter. She's 15 in investments, but I don't know how I should get her started. So just wanted to put a question out. Thanks. Bye. Well, the first thing I would say is if she has a job, I would try to open up a Roth IRA for her if she can. She doesn't, have, she doesn't have to actually fund it. But if she can just have a little bit of a job, earned income, whatever that is, you can put that money into a Roth IRA account. Okay. So I would think about that if you can. And having a little part-time job, not a bad thing. I know it might be a little harder than usual right now, but I think that would be good for her. Next, if that's not the case, she doesn't have a job, then just I would open a brokerage account uh, for benefit of maybe her name. Now, Steve and I differ a little bit on new investors. I always think, especially in today's world, now with no commissions, it's easy to put a few hundred dollars in, get them used to investing. And I like to invest in individual companies. Steve would probably say indexing, but I like the individual company route because it allows young investors to start to understand how companies work, invest in the companies that they like. Right. Maybe they're on TikTok a lot and they want to buy uh, Oracle. Right, uh, Maybe they're on Instagram they want to buy Facebook. Right? Maybe they have an iPhone, they love Apple, they want to buy Apple. And it gets them a little more involved and in, in connection to stock market and then the real life things that are happening. So that's the way I would get them started. And start to learn, but with a very small dollar amount.
1: Let's go to Julia and Julian.
0: Hi, I have a question. I'm about 55 years old and I'm a novice and don't really know where to start. Okay. I would like to get into the market probably with a mix of stocks and bonds and cash. I'm wondering what percentage you would recommend of each one.
1: There is a rule of thumb. It depends on you and how aggressive and how much money you want to invest. You know, uh, if you're just starting out, I would be very timid about getting in the market right now okay your experience level is very low so you want to be very careful there's a rule of thumb that your age dictates how much bonds you should have so if you're 55 55 percent of your money should be in bonds i'm not buying that rule of thumb because there are times when being in bonds is just terrible and times when they're better to be in bonds the time not to be in bonds is when interest rates are low because interest rates will probably rise You're not getting very good yield. So it'd be better to go and do dogs of the Dow, high dividend paying various big companies will get you more money generally okay. speaking and don't buy too much of any one company there's some rules we never for instance i never buy more than three to five percent of a company my overall portfolio so that means mm-hmm. you have a number of stocks you can also invest using etfs you know what those are exchange traded um, funds they're like mini mutual funds and you can buy sectors let's say you think the uh, The medical sector is a good place. Well, there's a number of ETFs that you could just, you give you instant diversification by ETF. You might want to start with the ETFs.
0: Now, as far as the taxes on ETFs, are you taxed on the gains like you would be in a mutual fund?
1: Yes. Yeah. Only when you sell it, though. And unlike the mutual funds, where you get capital gains distributed to you, even though made, that doesn't happen in ETFs. Oh, okay. Only good. when you sell it, like a stock. You make gains or you you have losses, that's when you have to pay the taxes. Okay. Thanks, Julie. Appreciate the call. Good luck. Thank you. Hope it works for you. 888-99-CHARTER is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888-992-4278. How about we go to Mike in Fremont? How are you doing, Mike? I'm oh, doing pretty good. How are you up there? Down here, I'm doing great. Good.
0: I've been listening for about a year, and this is my first time calling in. Well, thanks. And, and if I could, could I uh, just take the answer on the air on this? And it may be just common knowledge, but it sure. seems to me on my mutual funds that they all seem to take a dive in December.
1: And there is a specific reason, Mike.
0: Okay. it's not can just get it yours.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can take it off the air. That's okay. Yeah, good. Thank you. Sure. Mike, it's just not yours. It's many, many, many mutual funds do this. And this is why. It's very, very simple. In December, sometimes in November, many times in December, these mutual funds do what's called a capital gains distribution. Now, if you think about it, it'll make sense. Think about what a mutual fund does. It buys and sells stocks all year long, right, inside the mutual fund. When it does that, hopefully it's making money, and if it's making money, it's incurring capital gains tax. But it doesn't pay capital gains tax, just like you do, don't? until you do your taxes. Well, they have to distribute, mutual funds have to distribute those capital gains to you, so that you can put them on your taxes. So what will happen at the end of the year, if a mutual fund has a high turnover rate, meaning they buy and sell, buy and sell, buy and sell a lot during the year, and they've made money on those buy and sells, they would distribute those capital gains to you in the end of the year, let's say the mutual fund is selling for ten dollars a share, and one day in December you see it go to nine fifty. All of a sudden, one day, you never they never tell you what day it is, so you can't sell it the day before, you do not know. They actually give you that fifty cents, by the way. They give that fifty cents to you. You'll see it coming into your portfolio if you're looking carefully. And then you have to pay the taxes on capital gains on your return when you get your ten ninety nine. So what it is, it's that jump down in November, December in one day is a capital gains distribution. That's what that's called. Many, many mutual funds do it. The ones who don't do it are the ones that don't have capital gains distributions. They don't have the capital gains. Let's say your mutual fund buys the stocks in December of one year, and they never sell those stocks for a full year. You will not have any capital gains distribution, and the net asset value of the the, the cost of the fund will not go down. So one thing we kind of look at is the capital gains liabilities, which you can find out, by the way, during the year. We actually cut back a couple of mutual funds because we expected large, we didn't sell them out right, but we expected large capital gains distributions, and we were trying to avoid it. Sometimes you're successful, sometimes you're not. So, Mike, that's what that is. It's very common, and it's in the end of the year, and it happens a lot. Don't think you're doing anything wrong, or they're doing anything wrong. That's not the truth. We're going to go to Jimmy and Sam Ramon. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, Steve. Uh, I'm a new listener, new uh, to uh, this whole investing thing. I actually have a investment set up with my union, but uh, I've been looking mm-hmm. to spend maybe a thousand dollars to get into my own stocks, building my own stuff. And I was wondering what you thought would be a good one to get into with that smaller amount of money. <laughs> Well, just to let you know, we can answer questions, but I can't give you recommendations. How old are you? 24. This is a great time to start thinking about it because the market over time will give you, oh, 10%, that's what it's done over time for the last 7,500 years, mm-hmm. 10% return. The question is, a lot of people don't get that return because they have no clue what they're doing. One of the problems that most people do have is they let their emotions get involved with their decision making. Mm-hmm. When they see their prices are going down and the stock market's crashing, they get out. you got to look longer term. When they see the market going up and just up, 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 they put more money into it. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, if you really want to be successful, when you are at your saddest and you feel like you're just wasting money putting in the market, that's when you put more in. Uh-huh. And when you're at your happiest, that you're making a ton of money over the years, and look at this, this, stock, this my stocks went up the last six months to 100%. Sell. Take it out. Take <laughs> some profits. You play your own emotions that way, you'll be a lot better off. So the one thing you need to do is figure out how to evaluate stocks. How to determine whether this is a stock that's overpriced or is this stock on sale. Uh-huh. Stick with the price of stocks that are on sale. But at the same time, those same on sale stocks, you want to be in an uptrend on a chart. In other words, the stock has been moving up consistently for a while. That's how you pick stocks. Uh-huh. If you give me a call, I will be happy to give you some value methods that are not very difficult. Uh-huh. And then on the websites, there's a ton of places. One of the easiest way to evaluate a stock, and I'm going to give it to you right now, is take next year's growth rate of a stock. Multiply that times its earnings estimates by the experts for next year. Remember the stocks look forward, not backward. So if the earning for next year is gonna be a dollar per share, it's always a per share issue. If the earnings is gonna be a dollar per share next year, and it's growing at 20% a year, multiply 20 times a dollar, and the stock price fair value is about $20. Sounds good. Okay. Great. Good luck on it. You'll love it. I started at 21. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278.
0: listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Justin Steve, Matt from South Florida. You guys are really good about talking about money printing and monetary debasement. I am of the opinion that I think some level of money printing is going to continue the easy way out politically for both uh, sides of the duopoly. So my question is this, we all know the reasons that gold, copper, etc., Bitcoin are hedges against money printing and inflation. Generally speaking, would you consider equities to be a hedge against inflation, meaning all else equal if the money printing continues? Do stocks just inflate the way that goods and services do? Would you consider equities relatively safe or do you wait more into crypto and things like gold, silver, copper? Because equities aren't a perfect hedge against money printing. Thanks again. I'll listen for the answer.
1: Stocks have always been able to stay up and exceed inflation. So if they continue printing money, the the idea is they will inflate. We have inflation. And what, do we, what assets do we hold? Stocks always are able to hold their own, going up, even during times of high inflation. Because what happens is you're CEO of a corporation. What do you do? If inflation comes, you start raising your prices because the the input prices of the things you make are going up. So you just pass it along. And now everybody knows there is inflation, so you don't have that much resistance in raising your prices against from the public. Right now you would because there's no inflation. The public see prices go up. Hey, yeah, you know, they say, oh, well, There's no inflation. Well, I'm not buying that. But when you have, if you're a CEO and you have the excuse that inflation is in the system and everybody knows it, you get to raise prices and keep your profit margins. And you, so many times they go up. So no, don't worry about that part. Stocks will work fine in an inflationary period. It has not a past. That's why I'm saying it. Appreciate the question.
0: Good advice. Spread your money around. Stick to a well-thought-out plan for carefully divvying up your money so no single calamity will destroy your portfolio. Want to talk about it? 888-99-CHART is how to get through right now. Let's go to Bob and El Sabrante. How you doing, Bob?
1: Hey, I've heard you talk before about on balance, but I don't exactly know what it is or how to use it as information. Is it a short-term or a long-term statistic? Well, it's not based on length of time. Let's start off with that. Okay. You know what volume is, right? Sure. And for everybody else, volume is just a number of traded shares in a day on a particular stock. And you'll hear the stock market say 1 billion shares traded today. Well, that's the volume of the whole market. But you also look at volume of an individual stock. The volume of shares traded on a daily basis is something that a lot of people look at. Well, is it up volume or down volume? Is it volume that's good or bad? Are people selling the stock or are they coming into that? Now, obviously, if you relate the price movement of that stock to the volume, if there's a lot of volume, the stock collapsed by half, you know that was a very bad day. Most days, the stock is moving sideways or up and down slowly, and you don't know if there's more up or down volume. You just know there's volume. But when you look at on-balance volume, that's looking at volume a little bit more closely. And what that does... For every uptick in the price of the stock, let's say the 1,000 shares are bought with a penny higher than they were from someone bought it from just the last sale. It's a penny higher. That would be up volume of 1,000 shares because it's on an uptick. The next volume could be a down one penny, 500 shares, okay, down a downtick. But the on-balance volume on those two trades would be uptick 500 shares. So on-balance volume adds the number of shares on upticks and subtracts the number of shares on down ticks and draws a line. So if the stock price is moving up and you see the on-balance line moving up, that means there's more buyers buying more stocks on upticks. If the price of the stock is moving up and the unbalanced volume is moving down, that means that there's more volume on the down ticks, but there's a higher price movement on the upside. Well, all it does, Bob, is trying to tell you where the pressure is coming from. Is it coming from the sellers or from the buyers? Like you were saying, even if the stock price is going down, sometimes the on-balance volume can be positive, and that's what confuses me. That is very true, and in fact, you're looking for that divergence where the stock price goes one way and the on-balance volume goes the other way, because that's when it tells you the most. So let's say the stock price is going down, but the on-balance volume is going up. That's telling you more buyers are coming in as that stock price goes down. They're buying a lot more shares, meaning that stock is going to stop going down and turn around and go up because there's a lot of interest in the stock on the downticks. The on-balance volume is going down and the stock price is moving up. Uh Watch out. There's more sellers as the price goes higher. People are taking profits. Well, that's great. Thanks for that explanation. I hope that's clear, Bob. That helps. Thank you. Before we go, you can see more about today's topic. Go to investtalk.com. If you want to contact me directly, easy. Leave a message in the machine or go to investtalk.com. I'm Money Manager Steve Peasley, and I want to thank you for listening.
0: Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically.